Hey guys, again, uh, welcome to the Frontier Indica podcast. So this is going to be a fairly casual uh, episode. I decided to do this uh, impromptu. I mean, the idea of uh, the ideas that I'm going to discuss here, they've been in my mind for some time. But again, they're uh, not necessarily uh, that that well researched or or or, or that thought about. That I can really say that uh, this is uh, an extremely you know, structured and uh, well put together, uh, very formal kind of uh, episode or uh, or any other sort of production, right? So I'll just call this a casual talk, so to speak. Obviously, I do have some uh, idea of what the basic structure is and uh, some, uh, you know, verified uh, information which I've dug for, you know, in different places, which I would like to share and a few things I'd like to explain. So as you can see, the uh, subject reads the many nationalisms of india and their changing dynamics right so uh, for, for for a lot of people uh, they don't uh, they don't really like the idea when you when you say that let's say there might be uh, more than one kind of nation in india or or, or, or even in general when you're talking about uh, the Hindu community or Hindu Hindu civilization. Now I'll just start off by addressing uh, those uh, concerns or those uh, that point of view. See, I'm not coming here and saying that exactly this type of nationalism is correct or exactly uh, this many number of real nationalisms. I'm not saying any of that, right? My aim here is to talk about what the technical definition or several definitions of uh, nationalism have been how they are today, how they might even change, how that has relevance in our context and particularly in, in this space, right? This dissident space, uh, this more sort of slightly intellectual online space where people do sort of uh, get into this, right? Uh, uh, let's say upper caste, southern nationalism, where uh, people talk about... Uh, uh, you know, traditionalist uh, nationalism, uh, Hindu civilizational nationalism, uh, you know, all, all those sorts of things. Some, some people even uh, are talking about more regionalistic uh, kinds of nationalism. Uh, and, you know, uh, you know, earlier there have been some occasions people, some people have talked about, let's say, Bengali nationalism or, or, or Marathi nationalism, all sorts of things, right? In the more real political space, obviously, these are uh, generally issues people don't uh, want to talk about. Right, and I, and I get that. I I don't. I'm not saying I I think it should be done or should not be done. I'm not saying any of that. I I think I'm just describing the way things are, right? And I want to talk uh, specifically about one thing, which I think almost no one has really noticed till now. At least at least it's not been discussed anywhere that I have seen in the public, right? And that is the uh, relation between uh, economic development. The, the current state that we're in where, uh, you know, disposable incomes rise and, you know, people are adopting a lot of uh, consumerist uh, material, uh, you know, modes of uh, living, right? And uh, people are increasingly, you know, uh, literacy is becoming a universal thing. College is becoming very, very common also now. So a lot of these different factors and, and how I think that is, uh, you know, creating a very, very unique uh, moment in Indian history. Indian or, you know, just, you know, geographically speaking, the history of the uh, Indian subcontinent in general, which we've actually never seen before. And this, this might uh, lead to some very interesting things. And it's very relevant for us to understand uh, what's happening here. 
and uh, and try and see right uh, what can we do to to, to make sure we uh, have uh, we can ensure that at least for our interests and, and our uh, ideals and ideological beliefs uh, this in general turns out to be a good thing so the thing is now now with this aspect of uh, how how current uh, dynamics are changing of the understanding and uh, you know belief in nationalism in india uh, due to economic changes that i i am not going to delve into as much as i'd like to right i think that is going to be a a topic which has to be done in a very very comprehensive manner and uh, there'll be a separate uh, maybe podcast episode maybe a long article or series of articles which is going to go quite deep into that because that has to be a very comprehensive and fleshed out thing but here we'll just uh, discuss uh, the 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 fundamental uh, ideas behind that and sort of uh, basic reasoning and you know short stuff right so uh, anyways guys uh, let's get into the meat of this so obviously we have to start with talking about indian nationalism right so that's the most common understanding of uh, nationalism here the most widely accepted as well uh, right so in general what does this indian nationalism mean what is the indian nation right so now the thing is interestingly the the people who tend to have the most uh, contentious argument about this are generally people from the sang right wing basically kind of like raita uh, raita wing type of people right sang bjp aligned type of right wing people like the, the most common right wing in public and a lot of these uh, really academic type of leftists right especially the, the let's say j your jnu professor your you know uh, <laughs> periodist uh, dravidian nationalist scholar from tamil nadu these kind of people right and then these people make a come make a blanket statement let's say the uh, the leftists would say there's no such thing as an indian nation you know the, the very idea of an indian nation just came in 1947 when the indian state was established right so he'll say something like that the rss or uh, raita right wing guy that person will say the indian nation has always existed and he'll kind of make it a convoluted thing and essentially it's not just you know it's not really about religion or anything or even you know not even necessarily the state he'll throw around vague terms it is about culture if you love bharat mata and and you know some some stuff kind of taken from these the savarkarite uh, way of thinking right let's say if you consider this your janmabhoomi your karma bhoomi or if you think india is your you know sacred land and those kind of things then you if you follow those you know fundamental tenets and you know then it doesn't matter if you uh, even officially identify as a muslim or even go to the mosque then you're also are uh, you know same dna brother and uh, hindu hinduism hindustan india all that is essentially kind of like uh, essentially the same bunch of things india is hindustan bharat is hindustan bharat is india people of india who believe in these two three basic tenets they are all hindus uh, you know uh, religious hindus are just one kind of hindus even uh, non religious atheists uh, so called hindus are hindus Muslims who believe in these two three things, they are also Hindus. Christians who believe in these things are also Hindus. So it it just so the thing is, both these things, right? Uh, so they 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 are uh, either incorrect, very stupid, very naive, right? So I would say that the the RSS one, what they are saying, is like almost inherently wrong. It's just like 
falsehood upon falsehood right kind of like uh, i don't know if it's intentional or is it stupidity but it's just you know silly stuff right it, it it's, it's not something which uh, i think anyone should take very seriously right at least not anyone who has any level of uh, you know basic intelligence or, or reasonable level of uh, education what the leftist is saying is a very over simplified kind of crude uh way, way of you know making an uh, ideological point right which is uh, which is which is packaged in a very uh, i don't know why they've packaged that way in a very naive and almost you know childlike way right very very juvenile right it's like an absurd kind of thing it depends on how you interpret it it may be true it may not be true but it's just kind of like very silly very very juvenile right and i'm saying that because the very idea of a nation nationalism is so complex so multifaceted that when you come there and say oh the idea of india was as a nation only came in 1947 you're obviously making a very very shallow very vague and almost a very misleading statement right it could mean a hundred different things what an indian nation is right to different people not a hundred different things but quite a few things right and that that is what we are going to uh, go into so now the thing is the the these two people obviously they are generally speaking rubbish and unfortunately these are the only people who generally go a little deeper into indian nationalism than the kind of indian nationalism which is generally are taught or spoken about that is indian civic nationalism right we'll go into what civic nationalism means in just a moment so so and that that's the whole problem right like in our inter- entire ideological space so basically either no one has a clue about what nationalism does mean can mean or if you know they are a bit vocal about it they say these kind of things so it's a it's a told shit show to be honest i don't know what else to call it anyways guys it's a, it's a pretty bad scenario but yeah let's uh, let's leave this for now let's go into uh, proper definitions and uh, you know uh, what are these uh, multiple facets that i was talking about right so uh, essentially indian nationalism as it is generally understood would technically be called indian civic nationalism right and and now you you might want to ask what is indian civ- what is civic nationalism right so the thing is now uh, this also some people might have uh, heard uh, academics especially uh, left leaning academics because this kind of uh, also ends up uh, you know it can, can be easily interpreted to support their line of thinking on other issues another thing is they'll tell you that the idea of nationalism is based on uh, an ethnic group right or or an ethno linguistic group right and un- until and unless you have a group like that with those thing those factors in common you can't really have a nation or a nation state in a traditional sense uh so now the thing is is it is that technically true or not right now the issue is that any word whether it's used in a political sense or it's it's used in international depending on the context it can have many different meanings right yes it is true for a very very long time i think uh, until we really started to you know see the uh, colonial movement uh, sorry the the anti colonial movement succeed and you know decolonization rapidly happening i think until then uh, 
you know this and and and, and when the world was essentially you know extremely europe centric right until that time yes your uh, late 18th century all of the 19th century even much of the early 20th century the the common understanding was that you know if you're you know speaking about what pure in pure terms uh, a nation is it is essentially an uh, 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 an entity a state entity uh, uh sorry a, a nation state is is essentially a, a a state entity a political entity which is based on a particular nationality right and this nationality was basically this term nationality was is basically interchangeable in in the, in that context with an ethnic group or an ethnicity so essentially nation nation state is nothing but uh the the political uh you know representation of the of the of the will of an ethnicity right so when they come together they form a country and uh, you know they do they do a few things like uh, they uh, have a constitution generally i mean it's not like necessary necessary but this is how it's usually happened they have a, they form a they draft a constitution they start a parliament they start making all these uh, laws which generally kind of uh, sort of egalitarian more egalitarian than let's say in a monarchy or something and uh, yeah and 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 you know then essentially these states uh, you know driving ideology becomes to protect the interests of that ethnic group right only generally practically or legally only those people can uh, become head of state or only those people can come to uh, high positions and and a lot of things like that right so so and and that is how uh, most of uh, early and and even until you know uh, uh, till till the till much of the first half of the 20th century that, that was the most uh, prominent kind of uh, nationalism in in terms of you know, people's general uh, understanding of uh, this kind of vocabulary right so if i if i had to give you some examples of this so so the thing is the emergence of modern day nation states right and and now you have to understand nation the term nation nation state in this context in this ethnocentric concept uh context right this started happening from the late 18th century onwards and kind of peaked uh during the early to mid 19th century right and then you know kind of continued still but bit uh, at a bit slower pace so right what was essentially happening was that in in europe there is a certain term which is used right which is called the age of revolution the age of revolution roughly kind of begins uh with your uh, late uh, 18th century and goes on for uh, quite a bit of time in your uh, 19th, 19th century right and this essentially i guess starts from it depends on who you ask but let's say the french revolution some people even say the american revolution but i'm going to leave that out because then again we'll get confused with the ethnocentric concept of nationalism we do that and then after the french revolution uh, you have many many countries many regions moving towards this spain uh, you have the greek war of independence you have things going on in romania uh you you start seeing uh, uh, unific uh, you know a lot of uh, rapid steps towards unification in germany which then concludes in the formation of uh, like a modern you know nation state of germany i think in uh, 1861 or something and uh, you also have of course uh, the uh, revolutionary uh, movement in italy which is actually quite famous and uh, very interesting and in fact quite uh, quite beautifully also if you if you actually want to see what uh, romanticism like in that you know pure nationalism context looks like 
इटलीज इटलीज रेवल्यूशनरी मूवमेंट इज प्रॉब्लम ऑफ द फाइनेस्ट एग्जाम्पल्स द इटालियन यूनिफिकेशन टू प्लेस एंड फॉर द फर्स्ट टाइम एक्चुअली इन हिस्ट्री यू हैड अ प्योर प्रॉपर इटालियन स्टेट इटालियन नेशन स्टेट and so yeah you so you are essentially seeing you know almost uh, you know much of uh, europe in upheaval right you know people are saying we we, we our uh, identity is not going to be based on particular religion necessarily or uh, you know uh, other things which were commonly uh, held in very high esteem uh, for some political legitimacy like uh, we don't care if you are the descendant of uh, louis the this and this king and that king we don't care about that we care about our uh, language our shared culture our shared uh, you know uh, historical ancestors uh, things like that right now the thing is ethnicity see again it can have slightly different definitions in some cases ethnicity might also include shared religion in some cases it uh, generally also it, it generally also has been seen that it includes you know uh, ge- geographical pro- proximity roughly they are living in the same kind of area not always so but generally and and you know things like that right but again it it really depends on that particular uh, case right but uh, but yeah this is essentially the the ethnocentric nationalism which we were seeing and you know if you think about it the second world war in particular right the fire essentially started kind of because of uh, ethno nationalism right so nazism i don't know if they really use like use this term or you know we really liked it or what but nazism or national socialism which uh, hitler propagated and which came to power in germany was a, a type of ethno nationalism right so he basically believed that all ethnic germans are one people one nation one nationality and their mother sorry fatherland is is germany deutschland right and they should be living under one state so and and essentially he was originally uh, from austria born in austria and austria is also dominated as uh, like 99 i don't more than 90 95% i think by ethnic germans right and that is why he said uh, there's no point having a separate austrian country that's just you know silly uh, regionalism or subnationalism that should be part of germany and a lot of people agreed with him and once he came into power they they came together to form one country interestingly uh, you know one of the biggest uh, points of hostility between uh, nazi germany and poland was uh, you know the the state of ethnic germans in in poland and uh, i'm sorry i'm forgetting the name uh, there was there was a uh, just give me a second there was this 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 uh, the name uh, there's a name of a town right a town or a short, small strip of land which was also territorially supposed to be part of germany and uh, i think it's called konensburg just give me one second sorry uh yeah yeah so essentially this was one of the kind of uh, you know reasons or one of the things that the the, the nazis or germans that time were quite frustrated about that uh, this city uh, uh, this this city of konigsberg was essentially isolated from the rest of germany because of uh, polish land surrounding it and the poles up, the, uh, apparently were creating disturbances and problems and you know trying to suppress uh, the the ethnic germans here right 
now the thing is uh, again now so so if you look at it from a civic nationalist point of view right a civic nationalist would say that how does it matter right uh, you know uh, so uh, sorry so so for the for the city of konigsberg he would say it matters because essentially they also have the same citizenship but let's say let's take another example uh, many of you might know about sudetenland right in the in in czechoslovakia so the sudetenland was another region that had a lot of ethnic germans and that is also again why hitler wanted to eventually annex it and annex essentially all of uh, czechoslovakia after that so as an ethno uh, as an ethno nationalist uh, which is essentially what uh, national socialism was a variety of hitler and uh, people who believed in what he said would want any region where ethnic germans were either a majority or or very sizable minority to become part of germany right that's like a very basic idea which is uh, associated with uh, ethnic nationalism you know everywhere right and similarly we see uh, you know uh, another very interesting example of a historical person we all know about and, and this is this is very interesting because uh, so uh, so i'll just tell you the the story so napoleon right if you look at it is look at his ethnic background to be very honest it was not uh, you know from a region which was uh, traditionally speaking a dialect of french or or even a very related language right so basically napoleon was born into a family which was you know ancestrally and i think till that time they also resided there uh, of a, of an island called corsica if you look at the map today uh, corsica is an island just next to france and it's not that far off from uh, italy as well so the thing is that this island the corsican people were essentially speaking some kind of dialect of uh, of italian right or language was very close together so they almost thought of themselves as italians right or uh, you know whatever the idea of uh, italian or being an italic ethnic italic that might have been at that time and very interestingly at his young age uh, when he was uh, in his formative years uh, as a as a child napoleon was vehemently against france vehement even though france uh, controlled that re- region even at that time until till today it controls that region he really wanted the french to be violently kicked off from corsica and corsica to either become some kind of uh, independent uh, italian or Ita- uh, corsican that italian dialect speaking country or just part, i guess be later on be just become part of uh, pro- proper mainland italy right so he was actually some kind of corsican nationalist some people might today call it a sub nationalist or something like that rather than a proper french nationalist but it, and then later on obviously he i, I think he had a change of mind or he suddenly uh, you know then he saw the opportunities in the french military and stuff like that and then he obviously is known for one of being one of the greatest uh, french nationalists ever so so th- so that is uh, essentially what happened in that case right so and 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 that kind of tells you right that this idea of nationalism being very strong strongly linked to ethnicity was extremely popular in europe right it was it was something which people saw as the natural thing and you see um, in in many regions uh, it 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 used to become a, a point of conflict very often right because then you would see that uh, let's say uh, if if let's say austria is uh, or the empire of austria is still controlling a piece of land where people speak some kind of italian dialect right the uh, new italian republic will always be trying to play some game or you know uh, 
almost like you know uh, try and uh, see if there's going to be a war against austria so they can join in the war and uh, and try and get those territories right because again your policy making your uh, the ideology of the state itself and even what what much of much of the population believes that any area which is dominated by people of our ethnicity should be part of our state right that land should be controlled by our state right and yeah so just to kind of round off this is how uh, early on and for and you know for much of the time period i mentioned uh, nationalism this was almost like the only way that uh, nationalism was understood it was uh, it was supposed to be based around ethnicity right but then obviously over time the word nation it's also uh, be very commonly now used interchangeably with the term state right now the thing is that in india even many uh, normal people who who might know the english language who might be some a little politically aware they don't necessarily understand the, the actual uh, like technical meaning of the term state right so i this is you know a problem which keeps on growing and growing i'm trying to define one term and then i oh yeah this term also people might not know i think most of the audience here would probably know understand what i'm talking about the political science term uh, state but uh, but yeah just for like everyone's benefit and just to kind of you know talk about uh, the the general state of awareness so this term state so obviously being indians right when we commonly hear uh, the term state right when we hear it in the news or you know some reporting it's used to talk about a subnational region right or or a provincial setup right so an area like let's say west bengal gujarat so this is what we understand is a state right it's it's essentially used synonymously in the in the same sense as a province would be used in many other countries right for example pakistan uses the term province right it's essentially the same thing if you if you look at uh, many continental european countries they use the term province i think france belgium most of them they use province right uh, uk is very funny they they use the term countries right so they, it's i think i don't know what will happen if uh, one of our uh, less politically educated boomers went there and told him that the country is england the state is uk and uh, the 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 nation is you know god knows what so yeah so that would be a very con- confusing place to be in right so so yeah in in fact i think uh, what so scotland would be one country wales would be one country england i think no, no, northern ireland also and uh, so essentially you have uh, a nation state uh, not not necessarily in in ethnic sense but but still a state which is formed of four countries right so yeah that would be pretty weird but anyways coming back to this so yeah but the the way that a common indian might understand the use the, the use of the term state in in the news or something as as a province is not how it's understood in in proper political science or when international affairs are being discussed right in that context the state specifically essentially means like a like a country right it's used in that sense so so like for example india is a state right pakistan is a state china is a state uh, the uk is a state france is a state so all these are states fine and uh, generally they are all uh, you know mostly recognized inter- internationally they have their seats in international forums and all they have their own separate governments which control those territories they have legal systems blah 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 they have uh, you know many different uh, uh, you know common factors at play right and essentially you know if you have most of these common factors and you have some recognition you are a, like a proper state 
right or a nation state also this so so that is what has happened the term nation state and nation state have started becoming uh, used very widely interchangeably right and the thing is to say that this use or or, or this uh, this definition which is which is emerged of a nation or a nation state is is wrong because the original one was ethnicity based is in my view being a little too uh, dogmatic it's it's being a little too unnecessarily stringent right with the use of vocabulary because vocabulary is supposed to you know keep on changing that that is how it is right so but but yeah i think uh, so we can we can probably say that the eth- the ethnic definition the ethnocentric definition of nationalism is you know the the original the the one uh, one of the most popular common types and the second most common type would be your statist definition you can call it a statist definition based around the idea of a modern nation state right so so these are the two common definitions and they're used in different contexts or even sometimes used in 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 a very similar context but uh, but the, the digging in deeper there is 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 not going to be uh, very relevant for for us today right so now that we've understood this we can see that when you're using a statist definition of uh, india right then yeah then it makes perfect sense india is a nation india is a nation state in that sense right and this i mean like again people will disagree and all, all of this and that by itself there is nothing necessarily very wrong uh, with the idea of indian uh, indian civic nationalism right uh, you know un- un- unless uh, a lot of other thing things were being uh, purposely uh you know neglected or something see i okay so wait let me let me rephrase that because i think some people might get confused and you uh, saying uh, something contradictory so the thing is i'm 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 trying to be non partisan here see i have my own issues my own you know major criticisms of civic nationalism but i'm just saying that just because you know people uh say that the kind of nationalism they believe in is a civic nationalism just because of that they are not uh you know saying something which uh, which doesn't make sense in a in a political science context i'm not saying that their terminology is wrong or their conception itself is uh, wrong by definition i'm not going into any of that i don't think semantics is something we should be so so concerned about i'm just trying to explain these things because of uh, because because i want to discuss how, what this means right uh, in terms of what people are how the, how the thinking is changing how how uh, you know political discourse and and you know these intense political uh, ideological clashes are going to change and and what can it what will what what will it practically mean right for for the future of statism for the future of government for, will there be multiple government all all those kind of things right so basically now civic nationalism as i said earlier indian civic nationalism is the most popular kind of nationalism this is a very statist uh, definition of a nation right that's all fine and dandy so so what what so if we go deeper how, how can we say it's it's, a, it's civic nationalism so the thing is the, the most common thing with civic nationalism again it's it is not based around an ethnic uh, conception of the state of the nation it uh, is generally uh, very strongly based on uh, on the sacredness uh, or the structure of a constitution so you your constitution essentially is uh, the most sacred or quasi sacred uh, 
you know a source of uh, you know you, you know your ideology or your belief system or your laws or whatever and uh, you know a bunch of other institutions as well uh, so institutions and symbols so for a civic nationalist your uh, supreme court is important your uh, your uh, uh, tricolor the national flag is is almost sacred uh, your uh, ashok chakra is almost uh, sacred your national anthem is inviolable because of course, those are the uh, these the symbols uh, the, the integral parts of the na- the indian nation state right the, the modern indian uh, nation state right and uh, yeah the, the army also right the 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 army uh, which which uh, is supposed to operate the same ethos uh, of the constitution for example like uh, secularism uh, right uh, to a to quite an extent even equality egalitarianism and and a bunch of other things so you know so essentially if you're a civic nationalism then obviously these are uh, again so you, you're not your entire way of looking at india and the world and international affairs even society is going to be that the indian state and its values its symbols come first right so when we are talking about values right so so think about uh, let's say uh, look at the look at the constitution right look at the basic structure look at the preamble uh, so so you have uh, let's say uh, something like the the it, Just like let's say gender equality, right? Like that's a very basic thing, or or in general equality before uh, before the law, uh, the, uh, the 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 right to uh, life, right? That is also essentially a part of the of the basic uh, structure of the constitution, right? Secularism again, like uh, you know, at least conventionally, you know, if you are a civic nationalist, Indian civic nationalist, you're supposed to believe in secularism because that is, and you're also supposed to be. a part of uh, you know the an integral part of the constitution but then again uh, some people are raita but then again they kind of say no no we are not really you know that kind of that is pseudo secularism you know one day we'll actually show you what is true secular but you know that day never really uh, comes except for the of, of course the the ever rising minority affairs ministry budget so yeah that that that, that might be one case where they are actually showing us asli true secularism but let's okay that that that, that uh, is again not uh, something we are too interested in today and uh, and oh yeah <laughs> another big one socialism right socialism also is tradition like that if you are a true indian patriot you have to be a socialist or at least you don't criticize it right you just uh, you know silently support it uh, even if you can't actively support it. just uh, be a super proper indian patriot by being a supporter of socialism because right that is in the constitution that is also kind of sacred so 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 that's the thing with civic nationalism it's uh, so th- the thing is that it it is a man made document right it was uh, kind of uh, it, it it came in uh, i think 40 uh, 47 48 and and uh, and essentially uh, sorry for 49 450 i i'm not going into the exact years right now because i have a lot of things on my mind so the indian constitution right when you and and obviously from the get go there was no 100% clear understanding that these are the inviolable parts even the even the basic structure and those concepts were discussed much later on right what what is the basic structure right there was there's a famous case in which this question came up what is the basic structure and then some you know judges decided okay no 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 they, everything in the constitution you can't change you know kuch kuch cheeze they are like you know above you to matlab hum insano se bahut upar hai ye matlab 
this is like the soul of india and the indian state iske sath you can't do anything so this is inviolable you can't change this then someone said okay to what is exactly this sacred thing basic structure that you are talking about and then there has again been a lot of litigation a lot of cases right i don't remember all the names right now again i've have not been in law for a very long time so yeah so uh, again and again so, so someone said okay you know uh, this uh, fundamental i'm just giving an example i don't know exactly like what were the exact talking points if someone says uh, you know no no this uh, article 25 and 26 should also be in a basic structure someone said no no we should just uh, keep it till 22 23 well, whatever right so there were a lot of disagreements a lot of count points counterpoints and i don't think even till today i mean uh, there, there is definitely a very good chance that uh, you know someone might uh, somehow figure out oh no wait uh, this is a pretty big problem and uh, this is kind of contradictory to uh, you know this 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 so will will this uh, particular problem that i have will it be c- c- covered under the previous judgments and if it is being if it is not being covered so does that mean that uh, th- this provision even though some people are saying it's part of the basic structure doesn't that mean that this should be uh, you know amended by by the parliament right and then there'll be a bunch of other people who'll come along and say no no this is sacred this is basic structure you can't change this again there'll be a big fight and uh, and you you never know it might actually get changed so so the, see that is the problem right when you have a liberal democratic you know source so you know how much even in the us there are uh, civic nationalists who are conservative but they are uh, not as overwhelmingly dominant as they are in india right and, and to an extent even even in india even uh, until or even uh, not until recently but even till now even the center left left regional parties they at least all you know pretend or pay lip service to civil civic nationalism right it's just seen as the default thing that when you see the national anthem you salute uh, sorry you see the national uh, flag you see the tricolor you salute or or you say that uh, you know india's uh, core value is socialism it's written in the constitution right so and uh, and and all those sorts of things so again civic nationalism in our mainstream political space is not something which is uh, you know heavily challenged or disputed and it's it's usually not even uh, you know understood whether it's uh, important uh, vis-a-vis uh, core political disputes or it's not important yeah the only time that does come up is when you know something comes to comes down to secession right then uh, indian civic nationalism becomes a very uh, uh, you know fundamentalist and uh, you know it bears its teeth that's how to get you so so for example khalistan right and everyone suddenly oh no we are hardcore uh, indians uh, the the ones who believe in the constitution and values true socialists you khalistanis aren't true socialists you're you're religious fanatics how can you be indians you you must all die so <laughs> so and again similar, similarly with the kashmir uh, islamist militancy obviously they want a completely different system sharia based system almost uh, you know and more towards an ethnocentric uh, conception of uh, nationhood so again that uh, becomes a very uh, you know obvious uh, enemy of uh, the indian state of uh, of the 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 status conception of uh, indian nationalism right again and i'm and i'm being dis- uh, descriptive here right i'm not saying this is good this is bad i'm not saying uh, civic nationalism uh, is always bad and that uh, another kind of nationalism i'll tell you about is better. no i'm not going into any of that 
so so this is how civic nationalism is right it's the most popular one it's the one which all political pa- parties uh, claim to support or uh, at least silently give their support to and at least for some time in the future i think it will mostly remain this way but uh, some things are changing right so i'll just get, i'll just quickly uh, get down to that part uh, but but another a uh, few more important things i think which we need to discuss so okay again now so we also have something called hindu nationalism a term which is become much more accepted right since the bjp came to power and hindu nationalism now the see the tragedy is that hindus right uh essentially practically or it's them in their mind i mean they do have only one political option in the sense if you if you want to vote and change the government you uh, yeah there is uh, you some people might say it's not a real right wing party even i don't think it's a very, i think it's a pretty shitty right wing party i won't say that it's not right wing at all i just think it's like really it does a really, really piss poor job at being right wing but yeah i guess it's some kind of right wing party but yeah so the the only option they have is voting for bjp and then if you're voting for bjp and they are saying an rss and these guys are saying ki hum log yeah okay yeah we also like that term hindu nationalism and yeah i guess we are the representatives of that thought and then you are also a hindu nationalist of the savarkarite variety right so now the thing is this mainstream kind of hindu nationalism also even though leftists will say that no this is religious fanaticism this is radical it's not it's it's it's, it's really not it's just uh, it's just a very you know basic kind of uh, kind of thing uh, which is uh, i think purposely kept a little vague right so 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 that uh, you can milk the most out of it in in any any pol- kind of political dispute or something and keep trying to expand your uh, vote bank and influence to other groups let's say muslims or, or, or you know certain kinds of uh, dalits who have you know generally voted uh, for the left or left leaning parties so essentially whatever works for political benefit right that is hindu nationalism in in that uh, sang and savarkarite sense right because they are trying to win elections right so obviously they not try to pigeon hole themselves into one very strict stringent definition right because otherwise naturally one would think that okay so if you are using that identity or ethnic so hindus are not properly an ethnicity to be honest it's very difficult to define them as an ethnicity it's almost wrong to actually call them an ethnicity but yes you could you know parallelly take certain aspects of that and kind of create an identity based nationalism which would be hindu nationalism and which would essentially yeah practically say that okay if you are like Uh, you know decent normal kind of hindu at least pray sometimes even if you don't pray at all at least you accept ki bhai bhagwan hai devta uh, such hai uh, our uh, vedas and mahabharat these texts are uh, are sacred books you accept those basic things theek hai utne mein hum we can agree theek hai fine you are a hindu right? that's a, that's perfectly reasonable right and and you say that okay this is how uh, 70 75 not 80 but let's say 70 75% of the population generally is some of the so called hindus are just like atheists or you know convinced uh, into some crazy scientology shit or something else and to be honest they aren't really hindus okay so we don't include them in our this thing this new thing called hindu nationalism and uh, and yeah so we'll actually try to uh, get that into the constitution and we'll will pass laws which will uh, you know at least 
if they did not outrightly favor hindus at least make sure that all discrimination against uh, hindus in favor of other groups ends right because this country is meant to exist uh, for the interests of uh, these hindus right who who are actual you know believers in uh, hindu religious uh, values so so that would at least be some kind of genuine uh, you know hindu nationalism right i think and and common sense tells you yeah that that is actually how hindu nationalism should be you know if you don't believe if you don't even believe in hinduism if you don't even like practice it at all never you say ki main mandir jaane se hi mana kar dunga i will not don't not do aarti i will uh, not touch this uh, idol or this uh, i'll not uh, put this image in my uh, house of this deity whatever it might be these these certain you know core uh, you know uh, aspects of hinduism if you're not willing to accept any of that then i don't really see how you know you can also be a part of uh, this happy bunch uh, who are uh, propagating this kind of you know so called hindu nationalism right i think you know when they are saying that uh, oh no no the 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 muslims also they are actually uh, same dna brothers uh, actually uh, you know if they just uh, you know sing vande mataram and uh, maybe wave the tricolor or ha wo savarkar ji ka ekat books ka summary wala pad lena and uh, yeah you're a proper hindu as well it i don't i don't agree with that i think it's uh, it's completely absurd and it's never really going to work also right it's it's uh, it's it's silly it's uh, it's obviously a political vote bank uh, grab a piss poor attempted that as well by the way but it is that also and it's just yeah it's just it's just pajitri sorry to use that word some people don't like it but yeah it's just pajitri at a very basic level right so so that is the state of so called hindu nationalism now thankfully in this dissident space so let's say even if not in the online dissident space there have been other thinkers other kinds of even in some cases parties let's say you take uh, shiv sena earlier on right uh, when uh, mr bal thakre was uh, was there you know he he actually did say a lot of uh, interesting things which uh, which are which are actually uh, which make a lot more sense than uh, than this kind of hindu nationalism i'm not saying that everything he said uh is is something that I, i follow or believe in but but at least it was uh, you know in the political space you did have someone at that point even in a particular region uh, who was at least talking about some uh, of these uh, core hindu principles or you know uh, ideals which needed to be protected right rather than saying ki ha you can just uh, salute the flag and you know just uh, maybe take a few pictures with these uh, local cows at the shakha center and yeah you're a hindu no i i, I don't think uh, you know anything he said was you know absurd along these lines right so but but again the, the thing is that in the political space generally as far as things stand today that proper kind of hindu nationalism generally mostly doesn't exist it's, it's non non existent right but yeah so so coming back to the the online uh, intellectual or, or dissident academic whatever you know blogosphere uh, dissident sphere whatever you want to call it all try jo bhi your, your favorite term is in this place yes there are many other people who talk about who say okay i am a hindu nationalist or some people have started using the term 
Hindu civil civilizational nationalist, which is I think more descriptive. It's an it's also a very interesting term, and uh, and generally people who are using uh, that that term, they tend to have uh, much more you know uh, rational and 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 actually you know idealistic uh, you know uh, framework for what they believe Hindu nationalism is and you know what a Hindu state will be, right? So it's it's definitely much more genuine. right then uh, whatever this uh, sang conception of hindu nationalism is right and and a lot of you know some other types also with you know various uh, some are uh, you know hindu nationalists of a very traditionalist orthodox uh, kind of mindset and they emphasize that hinduism has always propagated traditional gender norm and and i completely agree uh, with that sentiment and they and they talk about uh, you know they very strict about the fact uh, about rituals that this these 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 rituals are fundamental to being a hindu and uh, these 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 prayers you know everyone has to do and the the state also uh, you know should get in fully behind you know financing this and supporting this and promoting this and that right and that is uh, their conception of uh, true hindu nationalism again so i'm not saying it it, it is perfect or or completely fleshed out watertight and or even i completely believe in it but at least it is more genuine it makes more uh, logical con- logically consistent sense than the savarkarite variety of hindu nationalism right so again w- w- what we are seeing is at least in the uh, dissident uh, sphere we are starting to see these other types of uh, definitions of uh, you know nationalism of, of hindu nationalism coming and the thing is And, and at some point, someone might just starting you this kind of uh, nationalism, uh, these kinds of nationalisms as terms which are interchangeable with with Indian nationalism, which is to some extent already happening with the Sang variety of Hindu nationalism, where it's just uh, used interchangeably. Like what uh, what are you? I'm an Indian nationalist. Okay, who do you support? BJP, RSS. So you're a Hindu nationalist. Yeah, I'm that also. Do do no cheese same. Okay. So and 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 that is uh, something which which is not necessarily a bad thing if you. i mean i mean in the sense if you want your uh, version of hindu nationalism to really really succeed and you want it to become fully ingrained with the already existing structure of the indian state right and to control it through that then it's yeah it's, it's a pretty good idea to make sure that people's uh, conception of indian nationalism changes from that civic nationalism to whatever you are saying through your uh, interpretation of uh, hindu nationalism right that is how you uh, really uh, root yourself very deep into uh, the the power structure the political system so okay so this is as far as hindu nationalism is and now you start to see why i the, the, i use the term many nationalisms of india right these kind of things are becoming more common more prominent right even though in in the, in the bjp sang uh, hindu nationalism case it's kind of like a, still a fake out but okay theek hai matlab it is uh you know at least creating a very uh, publicly dominant conversation about at least on the surface a different kind of nationalism other than other than indian nationalism right so so yeah so people are becoming sort of open okay acha ye type ka nationalism bhi ho sakta hai ye bhi nationalism ho sakta hai so people are becoming a little used to the idea okay that there might be a variety of nationalisms uh, which uh, which people believe in and which are at work here right and it's not necessarily something which is always uh, you know the same thing as the state right so yeah so from this naturally then we come on to 
certain other so i'll just spend a very brief time talking about this because for the last part we barely got any time left right so fine so then we come to actual uh ethnic nationalism ethnocentric nationalism which is uh, coming you know many of these uh, uh, small subcultures right uh, let's say uh, rajput unionists as an example uh, certain uh, uh, I, i don't know if they use the term brahmin nationalist or, or i think some of them uh, use the term brahmin uh, supremacist right so which is kind of like an, uh, uh, and, and and which is similar to very similar to to how uh, ideologues of an ethno nationalist movement would think right now the thing is in india we generally don't use the term ethnicity for caste or for uh, even any other kind of identity thing is that caste in a lot of ways caste or, or jati or maybe a slightly wider understanding of jati it has a lot of commonalities with the european understanding of the term ethnic uh, ethnicity right sometimes ethnicity is also called an ethnic for uh, in 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 short oh, no wait sorry it's not for short it's 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 a, it's a term borrowed from uh, french used by uh, certain kinds of academics right so essentially you do have uh, something which can not too inaccurately be called a type of ethno nationalism right so so brahmin nationalism or uh, you know brahmin uh, that chauvinism or supremacism whatever people might call it can be sort of kind of like an indian uh, variant of uh, of ethno nationalism same thing with uh, rajput uh, unionism right or or same thing with uh, these uh, some of these guys are also there no uh, these uh, let's say yeah yeah, yeah. I, this was an example which was used earlier also the uh, the odd uh, bengali nationalist who sometimes shows up but but again when he does show up it's it's you know it's going to be pretty big it's going to be quite wordy a lot of words you wouldn't understand even i wouldn't understand we'll have to use a use a several different dictionaries from oxford and cambridge and god knows where this is this is like a small joke and and also you know like being being maybe a little uh you know nice to bengalis also you know, once in a while <laughs> so yeah anyways guys nothing nothing against nothing against you nothing against uh, any any particular ethnic so to speak but uh, but yeah so that is another another example and and let's say uh, in fact in, in on the ground uh, we have seen to an extent we still see some people call it regionalism or subnationalism but i i don't see why the term uh, you know ethno nationalism or nationalism can't be applied to the the belief systems of a lot of parties in 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 maharashtra right like the mns uh, shiv sena these these people because at least especially at at a certain point i don't know exactly when the peak was I, at some point i think they 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 had a very almost uh, violent uh, movement to uh, against uh, uh, south indian migrants or so certain types of uh, south indian uh, migrants in in mumbai and other areas place in maharashtra then also at at some point i think more of us remember this part when uh, the, when uh, certain i think migrants from up uh, bihar and general uh, north uh, hindi speaking areas were being attacked and and things like that right and when you actually see something like that happening on the ground then it obviously tells you that there are at least you know sizable number of people who de facto believe in ethno nationalism right an ethnic conception of uh, of their identity right 
then no, no, then the, then again i think the the thing is that the nationalism term or the ethno nationalism tag was never used never applied because again in india i think almost by default if you use uh, uh, nationalism for any kind of uh, regional or or sub national unit or a particular caste or a small group then it is seen as almost like you know prep, a predecessor or or, or the precursor to an announcement that you're going to secede or 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 a precursor to support for complete secession from india which is obviously a big no no guys you know how much i love my country and and uh, and yeah so so that's why people are very reluctant to uh, use, let's say use the term uh, nationalism for any uh, regional movement even people part of that movement themselves or maybe especially so the people of that uh, movement right Although, although yeah, I guess in in the case of militants like the people who've picked up arms, right? Those kind of uh, uh, separatists or, or you know regional uh, you know supremacist group or ethno supremacist group, they they don't mind using the term nationalism. Let's say Naga nationalism, Mizo nationalism. Those people who've already gone against the state, you know, who know that once they're caught, they'll be shot dead. They, those people, yeah, those people don't mind using that. And when discussing those insurgencies, those terms might sometimes. Uh, come our way right so so yeah guys we've actually discussed a lot of uh, you know variety of nationalisms uh, in india some of them which have never existed most of them which have never existed in any you know political conversations in, in on the ground in the in the mainstream media but uh, but are actually discussed quite a bit in these uh, you know dark corners of the internet these uh, fringe chat rooms and forums and websites but but yeah it is it's it's i think something which is catching steam so obviously things don't always remain outlined right you know those q anon anon guys they were also very online at one time only online but then later on you know they started going to places and uh, you know screwing shit up right and uh, and and yeah like i'm not supporting that i'm i'm just saying that you know like on it's online ideological development and spread continues for a certain time then obviously people move that to the real world right it is going to have uh, at a certain point when a certain critical mass is reached is going to have real life effects it's it's going to uh, start challenging conventional uh, political notions or conventional ideological notions which are which are presently considered to be Uh, so deep rooted that they'll never be questioned or challenged at least not by a bunch of online <laughs> artists so so yeah guys but but yeah they they it, it, these things are again you know as i said catching steam in my opinion these subcultures will keep on growing online and uh, and eventually they will start uh, we will see something happening on the ground let's see what happens how it happens how that develops that's a bit further into the future i won't go in too deep into that uh, right now so finally the, the thing yeah this uh, this this thing which i really wanted to talk about uh, and i think uh, this is something which as i said previously it will require a lot of fleshing out in future works so we'll uh, you know talk about it in a much more comprehensive and full fledged manner then but till then i'll just tell you like a gist and some details of what what i what, what i'm talking about so the thing is very interestingly if you look at uh, the age of revolutions like i talked about in europe 
the age when the or you can even call it the age of nation states right when nation states started replacing these many of these multi ethnic multi uh, so multinational uh, political entities uh, monarchies and generally monarchies those kind of uh, states and those kind of states were replaced by your ethnocentric nations or ethnocentric national uh, nation states right that period is almost perfectly parallel with the period of the industrial revolution right when we started seeing this explosion in wealth in economic productivity in in literacy in in awareness in uh, in in even in in a, in a lot of beliefs and ideals of people right we've started uh, and, and and you know that again obviously that might have that would have definitely played a huge role because right once you once you have a printing which is very common uh, you you have the raw material for printing also too which is uh, you know which can be easily uh, used in that supply chain to you know rapidly manufacture uh, print out thousands and thousands of books it can be sent out to different parts of uh, the country or different parts of europe and obviously in that in those sort sorts of situations uh, revolutions are actually going to come about because because of a lot of pending steam because these all of a sudden all these new ideas are uh, re, you know reaching common people reaching the masses right but but other factors as well right because once you have this explosion of uh, of surplus wealth uh, there are a lot of other things also which change right people begin to travel a lot more right so for example let's say you're you're talking about germany right let's say the the modern day germany we understand or the areas where the german ethnicity was dominating obviously even in the early 19th century uh, there was uh, your brandenburg or i don't know if it become prussia by then but whatever brandenburg slash prussia uh, a bunch of uh, small uh, city states small kingdoms part of the holy roman empire austria hungary uh, small germanic other allies of uh, austria hungary uh, a bunch of you know random uh, states or principalities which i guess had a small german minority uh, another ethnicity of uh, third consisting of 30% another of 40% or basically multi ethnic entity but actually ruled by ethnic germans so let's say maybe even that is uh, you know part of your uh, germanosphere right but for the common person right for the masses right they are many many if not most of them are not learning for any kind of formal german or formal standard german they know the dialect which is spoken in the village or the, the area in you know surrounding their village they don't know any other kind of german they don't know anything called standard german right so this is another important factor which played a big role in the development of the nation states which is the standardization of the national language right so in france for example france i think the place where this happened uh, it was this it was basically the place where i think we see the earliest example of uh, this uh, you know standardization of a national language happening even much you know much before the creation of the nation state and which probably was one of the biggest reasons the nation state actually came into uh, being so the french language what is commonly understood as standard french today is actually primarily based on the register which was spoken in paris the capital and some uh, neighboring uh, dialects and in general the thing is that uh, 
this Parisian French, this standard French, is actually part of a, a wider subgroup spoken in the northern half of France, right? I will just, I, I know most of you probably don't even care, but just for the heck of it, uh, I, I'll, I'll tell you the name of the subgroup, subgroup in fact. Yeah, but anyways, I'll, I'll talk about other things till then. So, so, so what was essentially happening was, I think, the, these northern French dialects, they were also based, they were also Romance, no doubt, based on Latin. But they had a lot of influence of uh, Germanic dialects, Germanic, or maybe Germanic languages at one point, right? So, some of you might know that the Franks were a Germanic tribe who invaded and conquered what was then Gaul, right? And uh, essentially, the Franks themselves then you know, uh, mostly became, I guess, Gallicized and, you know, Romanized and whatnot. And this kind of uh, Latin-based Creole language came. This, a lot of things happened. Basic thing which you need to know is that these people had a very heavy linguistic, cultural and even genetic impact on Northern France, right? And Northern France is where Paris is, where the, uh, you know, ruling class is, Right. So the register spoken by the elite, the cream of society would obviously be in Paris. They would want that too, something based on that. And then that is generally how it works everywhere, right? In the modern age, you go to China, there's so many different dialects of Chinese and actually some of them are essentially different languages, right? That's why, that's why people like to use the term Mandarin Chinese specifically. So it, it doesn't get confused with, uh, you know, another variety, which is almost a different language, not uh, Cantonese or, or Wu or whatever. Uh, so yeah, and, and Mandarin Chinese is again based on the Beijing dialect, right? Beijing, which is you know historically not for the whole history, but for you know important parts of history, being the Chinese capital, and which is the Chinese capital for the communist regime and the regime before them and the regime before them. yeah, so a bunch of regimes, and that is why where the elites live, that is going to be your uh, your standard register. Of, of the of the national language so that is why the Beijing dialect is essentially what Mandarin or your standard Chinese is based on and that is implemented across the country now same thing happened in France so in France it was even a bit weirder because the yeah now the problem I'll describe for you is that the southern French uh, dialects or registers so the thing is many of them would have actually been almost incomprehensible for a person from Paris or from uh, speaking one of these northern dialects, right? Many of them very, very, very different. So now that's the thing, right? So essentially you don't have uh, that proper ethnicity or a nationalist touch. So how are you going to create that? So you'll use your standardized language and impose it everywhere, right? So these people uh, stop speaking this barbaric uh, dialect which they claim is French and start speaking the proper Paris Wala French right and that is essentially what happened and when standardization took place after that they started to uh, you know send out these teachers and bureaucrats and all these people and told them to teach these savages standard French and tell them to not uh, you know use this uh, barbaric tongue whatever they're speaking locally uh, that's not French that is some uh, you know talk to their goats in that right don't talk to human beings using that right so that is what uh, what happened essentially so uh, yeah sorry to delve too much into all of this again but yeah standardization of the national language is also a very important factor 
in uh, in all of this right and in fact another thing which i'm going to touch upon later later actually i can talk about right now right is the fact that so again if you think about it an ethnicity or a more proper you know identity based conception of indian nationalism can actually exist right and the thing is a lot of people don't realize this right so if i had to say to really answer you know in a very you know traditional academic maybe european centric sense is india a nation or not i would actually say it's not but it is becoming so right so how is it becoming so so another thing is that in india so so there is a language called hindi right as we commonly understand most of us commonly commonly understand the standard register of hindi is the one which is taught in your ncert books most of the hindi newspapers are written using that and, and stuff like that but generally to be to be quite honest was that standard register really spoken outside of let's say uh, delhi some parts of west up nearby those areas not really right most of 80 90% of what is considered to be the modern hindi heartland or speaking their own uh, you know either dialects or sometimes even dialects which are so f- far off which are actually different languages right there's a lot of confusion where happens uh, there also at, uh, where does uh, the hindi group of of dialects uh, or or uh, continue and where do these hindi related languages separate languages begin right someone might say it begins with bhojpuri somewhere no no actually begins from avadi itself so again i am not going to go into those things it's again very contentious right so, but what we need to understand is essentially when you get state backing right when you are promoted as the language which the state wants its institutions to use which is going to be used as the a uh, norm as the uh, standardized variant right officially everywhere right that makes you spread very rapidly right and that is what has essentially happened all across up mp almost uh, or most of north india even even in uh, like i think punjab today for the most part uh, you can uh, go and speak standard hindi there and i think a majority of people at least in the in the in the towns and cities they will have no trouble understanding in fact quite a significant number of them will also speak back in in in, in that language right and and you know that's that's quite incredible because it's never been the case in uh, in indian history right the the standard variant the delhi variant of uh, khadi boli or hindvi or hindustan whatever term may have been popular was not something which would necessarily be understood so widely right obviously let's say okay let's say you're traveling from uh delhi during um, i don't know let's say shah jahan's uh, reign right go from delhi and you go to a place which today might be considered a part of the hindi heartland right let's say from delhi you uh, travel to udaipur or you go to jodhpur or or, or maybe you go to gwalior or a bunch of these places which is like a bit distant right go to these places and uh, you Uh, grab hold of some random guy who is uh, half the time let's say he's a peasant half the time he's you know uh, helping the uh, some uh, trader stock his stuff in the market so he does have decent amount of uh, interaction with people in the city uh, most likely he won't uh, he'll have at least 
a very significant amount of trouble understanding what you're saying right uh because he has never really been educated in that uh, in 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 that uh, variant and he'll just be knowing his local dialect right and obviously there'll be a lot of commonalities between the dialect and the standard variant also uh but again it's it's you know there's there'll be an accent thing there'll be you know certain words we pronounce a particular way and a lot of other things so you know it's it's never been this smooth so easy that you can go to almost any part of what is officially called uh, what is officially seen as this this hindi heartland where hindi is the uh, you know primary official language and it is said that hindi or one of its close dialects is also spoken primarily on the ground it's actually true right you can go to any of the cities towns and 87 80 90% of villages also and they'll understand what you're saying and you can understand most of what they're saying if you're a hindi speaker if you've been uh, if you taught and learnt it in a in a in a school which follows ncert or you know whatever officially recognized board so you'll be able to understand all of that right so what is gradually happening is the same thing which happened in france is the same thing which was happening uh in germany right before a uh, unification right before that you know people started to start really oh there's something called a german nation we're not speaking uh, you know different incompatible alien language we're speaking the same language i also know standard german you also know standard german we can actually relate, relate to each other share thoughts and ideas and stuff and that is essentially what happens with the spread of standard hindi here or delian hindi or whatever once it becomes de facto the common lingua franca of the entire country and even that i think is happening quite rapidly people don't realize that you know in maharashtra i think uh, in in most of big cities now i think it's 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 almost more used than uh, marathi itself as the as a lingua franca right and and then after the biggest cities you have the second tier cities then third then third tier cities and the villages right so and then after maharashtra is the is the next state it's it's karnataka and karnataka already you know bangalore mein you know i don't know if it's what exactly you would call the lingua franca i, I don't think that city has a lingua franca to be honest but uh, but yeah i guess which if you bump into a random person they'll almost be as likely to know kannada as they are likely to know hindi at least that's what Uh, my experience has been some of some people are telling me that uh, apparently it's even like more <laughs> i mean depending on your perspective is bad or good i'm not saying that but some people are saying that it's progressed to a point where you know you have be- a better chance of getting a response from a shopkeeper or street vendor if you speak in hindi at least in you know certain more you know migrant po- populated parts like la- large parts like that where you have a better chance of getting a good response if you speak in hindi rather than if you speak in kannada or maybe some other south indian language or even some you know uh, english like english mixed with a little bit of hindi right so better than all of that they say they say you you, you just speak in hindi wo bhaiya bhi apna kahi avad side ke hi wo sab samajh jayenge matlab whatever but but yeah that, that that is another example right and then again like if you if you see that demographically the hindi heartland has a major advantage it has that you know massive uh, you know intentional unintentional direct indirects but that state you know ka thappa bhi hai na it just makes your language your standard dialect standard register spread like wildfire right so you know on this continuum 
essentially hindi will be at some point into the future i don't know maybe it's going to be 30 years maybe 40 years maybe 100 years i don't know at some point people will see a very important thing in common with 90 95 99% of indians that is that the primary language which they speak will be hindi will be the standard register of hindi right and at that point you are or either you've already established that ethnic consciousness or you're very close to establishing it right i think the the tricky thing in india is that you also have caste right so caste uh, actually plays a role in uh, creating a barrier to the to the formation of a proper ethne uh, based on region or language or even religion and stuff so so yeah that caste is what actually uh, really is the is the spice here which uh, which makes it very you know interesting for someone who's intellectually curious all right but yeah, yeah but then again the thing is that caste is also dissolving uh in uh, let's say maybe not as or maybe as rapidly i know i actually can't really say right uh, caste is also you know intercaste marriage is becoming more and more and more common a uh, lot of people are not uh, saying coming out and saying we don't believe in this uh, some people are actively uh, criticizing it and saying that you know this abolish this and that and you know what not whatever again we can't really say what's going to happen but there is a non insignificant chance that yes perhaps we might live in a time you know when hindi becomes the lingua franca or the main language for 95% of indians and at the same time let's say 80% of them don't really believe in caste marriage don't really practice caste related uh, practices you know so at that time you essentially do have an indian ethnicity for all practical purposes and maybe they'll even start using the term ethnicity don't really know but then for whether they whether they wanted or not right indian nationalism even though the state pro- propagates that civic nationalism thing it will transform into ethno nationalism see that's what happened in china right china officially on paper is a communist country until the time the state was adamantly pushing you know it was cut throat all these socialist values we have to uh, you know create that you know marxist utopia and all those things when it was on that path everyone was very scared and people were just like okay let's we'll just do what the commissar says people didn't really you know talk very publicly about uh, chinese nationalism or you know han ethnic consciousness or whatever whatever and and again then yeah that may have also get gotten linked to uh, you know traditional chinese religion or buddhism or confucian or confucianism or something like that and again got into you into trouble so you you might just think that okay no no i won't talk about any of these things i'll just say marx zindabad you know lenin is the best right whatever then you have a situation where china all of a sudden starts uh, not all of a sudden but yeah the quite rapidly they start adopting capitalism for all practical purposes right they start toning down on that uh, communist propaganda or kind of you know patch it up rephrase quite a few things and you know try and make it seem that uh, you know that's uh, you know like uh, uh, and a utopia which is common uh, which is compatible with the kind with the uh, very special type of you know a uh, flexible kind of capitalism which we have adopted here in china and you know that's how things progress right and now you look at the way the chinese government operates the way even a lot of people in government in fact i think 
and this is probably how xi jinping actually thinks right i don't know if he would like to use the term even in private uh you know whatever however you say han nationalism or han ethno supremacism whatever right but but yeah for all practical purpose i think including the chinese premier most senior bureaucrats most powerful people in china and even most common normal chinese people have essentially adopted that han ideological pride that ideological understanding that we are the han race we are the chinese race we are the han ethnicity and uh, we are the center of the world we are better than everyone we'll defeat everyone we'll do everything for our race ethnicity and a chinese state exists to to guide us on that path and it it exists for to to safeguard and you know uh, polish han ethnic pride it exists for uh, you know the interests of the han race right i think that's practically become uh, you know what chinese communism actually is today it's not really about uh, you know Ma- good old marx you know ranting about uh, the perverted bourgeoisie and their you know fat children taking away from bread from the proletariat and you know his his, his bastard children who have to eat the scraps with the dogs he, he's not they're not really i think interested in that now they're more interested in uh, you know how uh, in chinese history this han general uh, beat uh, these mongolian uh, manchu uh, courtiers in a particular empire or you know the how the how the han were uh, able to uh, teach uh, you know ma- mandarin or the chinese language to these uh, uncivilized uh, barbaric uh, you know uh, tribals in in taiwan or you know back then uh, you know su- southern china where which is dominated by you know non cynic groups at t- some point right so things like that so that's what practically happens when you know that either that you know overwhelming control is not there or certain practical issues are see in india it's not the thing that the state itself is you know putting like a cutthroat version of uh, civic nationalism i mean indian civic nationalism is a theek hai polite kind of ki gandhi ji bahut bahut acche aadmi the ye nehru was ye chacha nehru he loved children all that kind of shit that is indian civic nationalism it's it's not a very to be honest a very cutthroat kind of thing generally unless you know like you do that khalistan kind of stuff then it yeah really they get pissed off right so as far as india is concerned there were practical issues it was not about a state shoving it down necessarily to everyone so obviously the state made very strong efforts to popularize it but the state never said that you know the if you if you uh, don't uh, uh, you know have the tricolor at uh, this time on this day you will be put in jail or you know the the max is like if you don't stand up straight during the national anthem in a and and even this thing has happened very recently that uh, people getting beaten up in the theaters and all even to be honest i don't think that would happen every theater right i don't know how common that is the, that is that that happens i'm very sure especially in the cities there is a very large percentage of theaters where if you just if a guy just sits down and pretends to ignore the national anthem while everyone else is standing up people like fuck it bencho movie dekhna hai like many people might just be like screw it man it's not my problem and and see that's the thing right the 
civic nationalist right uh, which the the government has uh, created right which is the most prominent type right is and and thing is this is this is the problem they they get infamy for no reason in fact i think right you know if you think about it uh, if let's say 20 there's a 20% chance that if you don't stand up for the national anthem when it's playing in a theater you will get a little you'll get a bit roughed up with thappar par marte things something like that will happen yeah some uh, you know over enthusiastic guy will jai mata di bharat mata ki jai or something like that you know uh, from i guess one of those uh, military border movies or you know or try and uh, do like some sunny deol stunt on you on on that person 20% of the time and and you know this is not even something that is permanently physically harming that person i think that's an incredibly you know nice guy ideology i think it's a very very pacifistic ideology right because the thing is in a proper ethno nationalistic kind of setup let alone 20% of there's a good i think 70 80% chance when you'll be nearly killed right for something like that now imagine like i'll deep uh, the good example would be some like armenia azerbaijan you might say that that's because of the recent thing nationalist sentiment no okay okay don't uh, don't go on the recent thing even 20 years ago 30 years ago even 30 years from now when let's say the border has been all calm and everything you go to some azerbaijani theater and you look like a guy who understands the language and you seem like a local and you refuse to stand up for the national anthem or whatever if they have that kind of law that it will be played and you and uh, you know you aramsi you're eating your popcorn and you know scratching your uh, head or like you know some of the pervert some maybe it's a pervert guy scratching his balls or something if you're a guy like that there's going to be some crazy ass dude who's going to murder you or like maybe perhaps a bunch of them right brutally like mur- murder you in public and they will not give a fuck if the police comes or doesn't come that is ethno nationalism right ethno nationalism it is like a very it's it is it just is much more hardcore than civic nationalism i'm not again dude i am not saying that you know it, that is necessarily how things should always be but if we are being truthful that is how it would be and in comparison civic nationalism particularly indian civic nationalism is not intolerant it's it's very tolerant it's quite non confrontational generally speaking unless you really cross a line and it, it, it generally doesn't advocate or uh, you know promote hurting people right so that is that is how the situation currently is but then that's what i'm saying that once you have a situation practically speaking where 95% of indians speak that standard register of hindi 80 90% of them don't really believe in caste they think okay theek hai indian hai so i can marry any indian once that mentality comes right you practically almost do have an ethnicity right and for all practical purposes this nice guy good boy indian civic nationalism will be very very rapidly subsumed by indian ethno nationalism and that is when you will see the kind of things you see in uh, let's say azerbaijan or armenia or even in russia and places like that right where the you know hardcore nationalists actually you know like almost kill people for from very small you know insult or even a misinterpretation right so yeah and and then again uh, this is not supposed to be uh, prescriptive this is i just what i think 
is something could happen the processes leading up to that kind of indian ethnonationalism are in play right and these changes are happening very rapidly and eventually we could see that kind of nationalism becoming the default uh, indian nationalism practically and further on people might also make it you know part of the constitution legally also it might also become what india is as a nation what our understanding is as a, of of what uh, india means right what the indian nation means so uh, so yeah guys again this has been pretty long and uh, i will now i'm sorry i'll just have to quickly run down some of the other things related to the economic development aspect so in coming back what i was saying was so you start seeing this you know fact that the uh, industrial age period and the uh, rise of nation states in europe the emergence of nation states in europe all these revolutions taking place constitutions being adopted this that unifications and all this was happening at a very similar time period right which kind of leads me to think that a lot of factors right so like i mentioned earlier you have books are much cheaper then a universal education becomes a thing right almost it doesn't matter if your father is almost a landless peasant you will still get some kind of okayish education you will and then again once this uh industrial thing is there you, the the fact that your education can also include things which were earlier considered to be very elite for your kind of education right the things like for example uh, let's say uh, in england english history right at this this battle the english uh, were fighting against the french kingdom and we defeated them what not right even in a small boy in some um, in 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 a village you know fishing hamlet or something in the english countryside that is going to you know create some motivation to okay england this is my nation yeah you should probably do something for it we have actually such a proud history things like that right so so that's the thing before your industrial age before you know when people could actually when the government and you know the people could actually afford this kind of education for everyone before that you know if you're some kid living in some small village you're never going to learn you know when did england defeat france in that war when did uh you know the saxons come here uh, what did this king do what was the parliament uh, which was first established you won't know all these things right you won't know achievements you won't know your uh, own culture's history and stuff like that so you obviously uh, you know you wouldn't give a fuck about what what is england you you're, you know in your whole life you will not travel more than 50 60 kilometers from your village so it doesn't matter for you what is england what is france what is germany but then again another thing is once the surplus the surplus is getting created people have more money people have disposable income now they can travel easiest play places to travel are obviously places controlled by the same state right so for example in england or the united kingdom okay if i am in uh, birmingham i can go and uh, you know uh, travel to another city in a very different corner of uh, england where uh, even the accents are so funny and everything you know i, I have some trouble understanding them right birmingham whatever city example you know guys i'm not an expert in english geography i don't know just some random place right you, all you uh, you know epl and uh, football fans and all i'm sure you can think of like fucking 20 different cities but yeah that and th- that is something now again the industrial revolution starts with england and it rapidly starts you know spreading to uh, 
uh the 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 continental uh, parts of europe your uh, you know germany france uh, what the kingdoms which were germany back then kingdoms or republics or whatever italy spain you know all these places so again what is happening people in spain in one particular part speaking a very different dialect having many different cultural values not being very literate or very curious also they okay let's say for uh, winter vacation they are going to a different part let's say a part where they have snow there in winter so they want to see snow they go there they suddenly really realize okay these people are also living in in the same country and uh, they are also spaniards we are also spaniards wow uh, quite interesting okay okay so so you know the uh, wow i never knew that uh, we had so many different kinds of people uh, and and we are speaking the same standard register of uh of spanish uh which is common in madrid so we can understand each other so so they, i've never met such a person who is so different so unique but at the same time who fe- who who felt like uh, you know almost fraternal because he, now he's speaking that uh, standard register right so this is how uh, the that nationalist consciousness also gets created because of this surplus a certain degree of disposable income a certain degree of uh, a certain level right of your uh, per capita level uh, where you know even after meeting your basic necessities for a very large chunk of the population even a majority maybe it becomes possible to start spending money on the on these extra things right which then naturally start leading to more familiarity with let's say your own history with your own culture with uh, you know other regional uh, varieties of your culture with with other parts of uh, england and then you realize that okay i can also the industrial age means now these corporations are coming up right what happens when these corporations come up they set up offices and factories in different parts different cities now permanent migration also becomes a very big thing now you can't be that guy earlier who said i don't fuck it screw it i'm never going to travel outside like 50 60 kilometers of my village to what do i care about what is there in that part of england and that now you have to care because the thing is you might be born in northern england but all the good jobs might be in southern england or or western england or whatever right so you have to make sure that you're following which part, which part has the you know best opportunities in your field and things like that so people started migrating also a lot more right for better opportunities or to get a better education and all in all those kind of things like very common with the industrial revolution right and you know i think the and see again the thing is there are a lot more details right which i'll have to think about which i have to uh, really research right for, for this to be really fleshed out right but the basic crux of what the the hypothesis that i have is that in india till now right we first of all again that ethnic thing was there but okay if there are these ethnic uh, you know barriers like it's not a homogeneous society ethnically right you have all these different castes different regions different ethnicities different you know whatever linguistic groups so why didn't we have a, you know much more prominent outbreaks of the other types of nationalism let's say a, a widened uh, you know uh, marathi nationalism become actually a much more aggressive force which actually wanted a state like a proper uh, you know nation state 
or which which uh, actually said that uh, that you know what uh, we will uh, literally start a pogrom if you don't do this for our culture you know things like that those are uh, you know proper pro- and i know i earlier said that you know it was something which was showing like some you know basic properties of ethno nationalism but again like not to the extent that fully developed ethno nationalism is right and similarly you let's say look, you look at bengal right why is it that uh, this idea will only come up in some u- university debates why is it that this idea would actually find even less supporters than uh, marxism maoism or whatever you know why why are all these things like that now the thing is that uh, yeah sorry another layer point is i kind of forgot to mention this so again with the surplus you also think about this aspect right which is quite it's a very basic point but it's a, i think it's a very important thing that people get free time right so when you have free time you can devote yourself to things like ideologies right when you have a surplus you can use that extra energy right you're not constantly worried about where will you know next week's bread come from how will i make sure that uh, these kids are not uh, you know freezing to death in the winter right those kind of problems become you know more and more solved right and you have other different problems but then the thing is that you become more open and susceptible to you know these strong ideologies right because again you have more time to think you are not worried about bare essential survival right and you start becoming more concerned uh you know with you know abstract ideas you start becoming more concerned with what uh you know what if it was like this what if it was like that right about uh, different possibilities at a grander level which to be honest a villager who is semi starving is never really going to think about right even, even today in many parts of india where almost like half the population is actually just you know on the edge they know that you know every second third monsoon is completely screwed these days whenever the drought happens they are almost all you know indebted nearly to death and if not for some you know welfare scheme or you know uh, f- free food from pd the pds or whatever system they're almost like essentially starve right or not if not starve they would have to abandon everything go to some city and start begging or start doing uh, humiliating things right so a lot of people still live like that here right those people don't really have the time don't really have that mental state right you tell them uh, if someone let's say comes to them and tells them tells okay so as an example uh, i don't know which which state would be a good example for this this would okay okay yeah let's say you go to bihar theek hai bihar east up or the bhojpur region right it is usually almost on all indicators either the poorest second poorest uh, worst or one of the worst doing regions we generally know that no offense guys that is how how it is okay i'm just using it as an example no offense to anyone right so in this region you go there and you talk to an average villager i, I don't know how exactly the the caste thing there is but but okay let's just say it someone from a middling kind of caste but he's actually quite really really poor right he works on someone else's land doesn't have land on his own he doesn't have any cows or any goats or anything like that 
you know sometimes he uh, last time he lost his uh, you know land laborer job for two months and uh, and only because he had one surviving cousin he was able to somehow you know survive with some you know dignity had a place to sleep and everything but he knows that you know if uh, if an extreme situation happens somehow he'll just have to depend on government aid or he will be uh, you know starving or he'll have to you know beg for money or something like that a very extreme things you go to him and you say bhaiya dekhiye you know in maybe in bhojpuri hindi whatever you tell him bhaiya dekhiye you know you are actually not an indian you are not even a bihari you are a bhojpuri that is your ethnicity you should be an ethno nationalist you should be a bhojpuri nationalist that is who you really are think of your culture think of this this king think of you know what was achieved during this age pura by ethnic bhojpuris whatever you tell him all those things right and you should say that maybe you should have your own country or at least you should have some kind of autonomy and uh, you should uh, you know your life's aim should be these uh, these core uh, principles of uh, bhojpuri nationalism right you know that guy'll probably give you a tight slap or a kick up your ass or he'll just be like you know what the fuck man what are you talking about you know he's just going to be either very angry or just confused or something it will not make any sense to him right first of all not going to be very educated right he is not uh, he has much bigger problems in life right and you know in 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 general it's yeah it will just seem like absurd and unworkable and yeah unless you maybe sweeten the deal with a lot of money he is probably going to say fuck off screw off i don't want to talk to you right so that, that's another thing that's another very basic idea but that's another thing right so that mental state also changes people become more receptive to ideas people you know read more people have actually have time to think about uh, other things apart from you know the very basic uh, physical needs right so and 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 that is again why i'm saying that this thing is happening right now where in a lot of places enough material wealth enough surplus is being created that you are seeing and firstly online the beginning of these subcultures and at a later stage even uh, on the ground you you're going to see that right because most of our indian history even independent india again one thing was that even the press wasn't completely free the fact was that as if we're talking about literacy even mass literacy also even right now i'm not very confident to what extent we can say we've achieved mass literacy but yeah most people didn't know how to even do basic reading and writing in any language let alone standard hindi or english any language right most of the adults they were basically you know essentially illiterate right they were doing some subsistence farming most of the time almost you know three four bad luck major bad luck events away from starvation right so that is what the population was like those that is what the conditions were like right and that is why uh, you know you didn't all of a sudden have some guy you know uh, coming up and saying hey you know all these uh, different tribes with these surnames we are all gujjars and we have this this history and uh, we should become become all become gujjar ethno nationalists you know we didn't have that or rajput ethno nationalists so brahmin you know like any type though any of those things right which is something you would expect will happen right because again ethnicity your your blood right your the, the the language which you which unites you those kind of things which ethnicity is based on it's a very potent force 
right especially in a multicultural environment in an environment where you know, other uh, ethnicities are playing all these uh, you know uh, very cutthroat zero sum games against you comes a very pro- powerful driver but we've not really seen it uh, you know practically doing much or becoming very open about their uh, ethno nationalism or or, or uh, becoming extremely violent or any or secessionist even or those kind of things but i'm saying that that's beginning to change simply because of the fact that we are now reaching that stage where let's say england reached 30 40 50 years after the industrial revolution where which maybe spain reached even 40 years even after that right we are reaching that now or we have been reaching that stage let's say right so these subcultures sub nationalisms caste based nationalisms rajput nationalism brahmin nationalism god knows even maybe baniya nationalism i don't know garhwali nationalism gujarati nationalism uh, i don't know which other examples to give you guys marathi nationalism let's say right telugu nationalism uh, your uh, dogra nationalism all these things these subcultures are going to become more and more and more prominent simply because the material conditions have changed and with the material conditions a lot of social and psychological conditions have changed which make people much more receptive and and almost wanting to adopt a, a different uh, idea set like that right and it's going to be very interesting for us also in this space see guys a lot of you guys might also be ethno nationalists you might also be civic nationalists you might also be hindu nationalists or you might be none of those things i don't know okay or you might just be two of those things. maybe let's say you have a more traditionalist kind of hindu nationalism variant you hate the savark right version of it but you're kind of okay with indian civic nationalism also just the thing is that you don't want the constitution stuff to be too forceful so someone else might say no i completely hate civic nationalism it should be proper hindu rashtra it should like uh, you know constitution to so screw the constitution we'll have another document based on scripture someone might have someone might have that view some some of you here might Uh, actually you know be a t- totally a caste uh, nationalist kind of guy right uh, you know you might come and say no no i just care about jat nationalism all jats are you know the greatest people in the world uh, screw your uh, you know uh, hindu nationalism too i love my religion and everything that's fine i don't want it to be the basis of any state or something i think our jat ethnicity is good enough for for that someone might have that view right so again a lot of different people lot of different views in commonality i think most of us in this corner of the internet if you're probably listening to this podcast and and yeah if you're hopefully not a scroll journalist you probably believe in some type of identity based political thought system political ideology whatever you want to call it way of thinking which is very very concerned about upper caste issues especially for young upper caste men who are hindus generally right hindu upper caste men their issues are your issues they are my issues also of course right i'm not never going to deny that i'm i'll be saying in the open right i primarily that is my audience those are people i care about as a even if i was not making this podcast or something in my real life also i don't really care that much about other groups and their issues 
I give a shit about this group's issues because I am in this fucking group and I think I'm being screwed over by the state and by everyone else. So why wouldn't I care about these issues, right? So, so, so that is the thing. That practically speaking, that is the commonality we have, right? We know that we are getting screwed over, upper caste people, especially the men, especially the young men. Most of us have those three, four things in common. And we are really concerned about that. We want fixes. We want change. Okay, we're not exactly agreed upon how that's going to happen. Yeah, but we want to figure out thing, ways to solve that, right? All that being said, see, the thing is, we can't say for sure whether the emergence of these subcultures is going to be a good thing or a bad thing, right? Because now the thing is, some of the, the people who go into that purely uh, caste-based ethno-nationalism they will not just scray, say screw all the non-UCs. They will also scray, say screw all the other UCs apart from my particular caste, right? Then automatically their interest and your interest becomes at odds unless you come from that very, very specific caste, right? But on the other hand, those people also will, uh, maybe they, they might be more successful than you in mobilizing people on the ground. I don't know. If that happens, perhaps... Uh, they will be able to win some more concessions in, against the state, which indirectly might also help us or motivate us or give us some kind of boost. Or even, you know, legally it might just uh, end up creating a change which will practically benefit us as well. So we, we can't really say, right? All we can do is just acknowledge and accept that this is happening. Those kind of specific caste-based nationalisms will continue to grow. Different, I think, in fact, Hindu nationalism itself will become many different types of nationalism. And that might even start happening with Indian nationalism itself. Might, I'm not very sure about that. But at the end of the day, and the, and the thing is, even what you want, whatever you want to call it, upper caste nationalism, southern nationalism, duja nationalism, Whatever term, see, I don't like to use any particular particular term at least now, which which sticks too much because people have a hundred different objections with a hundred different names, even though they goddamn believe the same things. So I'm not going to get into all of that, but but yeah, even upper caste, uh, you know, this kind of sort of sort of some kind of ethno nationalism uh, is is might might have ten different varieties five years from now. 10 different very, uh, you know, prominent and active varieties. Some of them which might also become very active and even a little powerful on the ground, right? So we'll have to see how that all that plays out. The only thing is we have to be ready for this blossoming of, you know, tens or dozens or even hundreds of different nationalisms, which are not just going to exist on the internet, but many of them also on the ground. Maybe many of them also beginning their own political parties and... I'm just laying this out there. I don't know if I should even say this. I'm not necessarily promoting it, right? I'm not saying that it's a good thing. And I can't even say for sure if it's going to happen, to be very honest. But there is definitely a non-insignificant chance, especially the if I, the way I told you, ethno-nationalism is, is a thing which, you know, fires up people's blood, right? It, it's much more potent, naturally, than, than civic nationalism. Or, or even, you know, the kind of half-assed Hindu nationalism which RSS is pushing, which is very potent at inciting violence in, in people, right? So it, it might even reach that stage with some very, uh, very particular uh, types of groups who decide, you know, screw it. Me and my two million people, 
this is all i give a share about i don't give a share about your india hinduism that uh, caste grouping alliance whatever we are just all going to take ak47s or whatever weapons and you know kill everyone else till you accept our demands for a separate country or whatever other demands i'm just saying something like that also might eventually come from one of these uh, streams right and i'm not advocating for that but i'm just laying out that as a possibility right so we also need to keep in keep that in in the back of our minds what happens when that when something like that uh, becomes uh, you know you know actually becomes a major issue for the for the state and uh, for the for the country right will the state be able to crush it easily or will it drag on will it have like a domino effect will like a lot of these things flare up will all these things flare up how the hell is the state going to take care of that will that encourage some neighboring countries to start declare you know f- full scale full scale war and you know try for land grabs will those be successful if those are successful will the state actually be able to hold together with these multiple invasions and insurgencies if not if the state collapses what will happen will it be like yugoslavia 2.0 ussr 2.0 i don't know iraq syria 2.0 how the hell are we going to react to that and again all these are interesting you know questions but yeah guys that is that is it for today we will uh, again as i said uh, we will flesh this out uh, in a better way i think uh, economics also something very complex you need to look at data proper statistics okay when the industrial revolution happened okay how many people went into the middle class how the life of the peasants and the working class thing what what happened politically socially uh, what what happened with disposable incomes this that what was what what technology was involved and uh, what exactly are uh, you know maybe some of the other important parallels are also there which we missed the parallels that we discussed uh, if can we go into the statistics of that you know all those kinds of things which uh, will be fleshed out later on in uh, an independent piece or multiple pieces but for now thank you guys i'm glad you took the time to listen to this uh, wrong a uh, very long monologue i hope uh, yeah, so it was supposed to be a casual talk i hope it was not too casual and uh, and you enjoyed it so thank you once again take care and uh, hail modi nomics till till i guess we're all you know singing modi chalisa on on the street like beggars or something yeah not really not really uh, definitely not modi nomics i don't know about the other policies uh, but but yeah man i do know about the other policies but damn this one is it really takes the cake modi nomics has my god it's uh, yeah you might remember seeing that meme where uh, you know these these two actors are smiling and you know they're uh, wearing torn clothes and you know they have dirt on their face and their bodies and they're smiling as if you know they're looking forward to things which are to come but they know they're screwed right and they are screwed and yeah, i i think <laughs> that is how how country is right now modi nomics i don't know what the heck he is that guy that guy has learnt or you know who is advising him but yeah those people do not know what the fuck they are doing right sorry guys i went on a tangent but yeah again bye take care god save you from motinomics okay